0: God. Well, I want you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Have you ever felt when you're reading the Gospels, like you didn't know whether what Jesus was saying was just for the disciples or if it was for all of us? Have you ever felt like they might be special and we might not be? You ever felt like, well, that makes sense that they do that. It makes sense that Peter would stand in front of the three, you know, in front of thousands in Jerusalem and see 3,000 born again. But then again, they were apostles, and maybe that's not my call. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that before. I've wondered how I fit into this story. And so I know as we read the Gospels, you've got to be able to apply this to your life. When you read what Jesus says to his disciples in, in the last half of the book of John, you've got to know he's talking to you too. But just in case you think that those 12 guys were just so special, and they were just 12 special people, we're going to talk today about some lesser-known people. In fact, we don't even know their names. There were 70 others, and some translations say 72. I won't get hung up on that, because whether it was 70 or 72, I don't think it changes our doctrine. I don't think we need a split in the, in the church. These people believe that it was 70. These people believe it was 72. That probably is not a, a make-it-or-break-it point. But in Luke chapter 9, we're going to see how Jesus sent the 12. Luke chapter 10, we're going to read about the 70, the no names, the regular Joes. And we're going to see what God did through all of them. In Luke chapter 9, let's just take a a moment to think about how Jesus did things. Brother David McGrew, during the ministers' conference, briefly mentioned this, and I thought it was a great point. How. When you really study the Gospels, you find out that Jesus kind of did his circle around the area maybe three times throughout those three years that he ministered. First time he went around teaching, gathering the disciples to himself, healing, doing those things. Second time he went around, there was some some upgrades to to the responsibilities. The next time he went around, he sent them out to go do his work. And so you know as you're being trained, there's a time of, uh, of teaching, there's a time of equipping, and then there's always going to be, if you have received something from God, if you sat there and the Lord said something to you, there's going to be a point where you're not just going to be a receiver, you're going to be a transmitter of what he's saying. You're going to be a channel of his goodness. So if you've been healed, I fully expect that you can go and pray for somebody else at some point. If you've been ministered to, if, if, the, if the word spoke to you and you were delivered, you can be an agent of deliverance. Even if you say, I don't know if I've ever been delivered. Well, yes, we all have. You can go out and see someone else delivered. If there's any revelation that's pierced your heart, you've got something to give away. What did Jesus say? Freely, and we're not going to read it. Uh, we're going to read the same story that, that I'm referring to, but we're going to read it from a different gospel so we won't hear this uh, quote, but I'll I'll say it to you. He said, freely you've received. Now freely give. That means two things to me. First, he said freely, and freely can mean a couple things, because freely can mean without charge, and I believe that's that's part of what he was saying. He said, freely you've received. I didn't make you earn this. I didn't make you earn healing. I didn't make you work for it. He said, freely you have received. Now, Freely give. Once you recognize that everything you've been given by God has been given, it's a gift, then you don't make other people earn things from you. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you recognize that I've been freely loved by God, then I can freely love others. If you think, if you're under the impression that you earned the love of God, that you did something to to, to make that happen, that you did something to measure up, that nobody else did, but you earned the love of God. If you think you earned the love of God, you know what's going to happen? You make other people try to earn your love. But if you know it's been a free gift of God, you never could have earned what you've been given, then you can freely give to other people because you know that you've been forgiven. You know that you've been freely granted mercy. You know you've received a free gift of God, so it's easy for you to minister to other people. One of the things that changed my life Uh, praying for the sick or praying for people that needed deliverance or laying hands on them. One of the things that changed my life was realizing that the reason God was using me was not because I was a special minister or any better than anybody else. The reason God was using me at that moment was not because of me, but because He loved that person enough. Right? Because if you think it's all about you, then you're going to wonder, did I do this enough? Did I do that enough? And yes, I believe that you... You know, just as Jesus said to his disciples, there are things that require prayer and fasting. There's a, there's a spiritual building up that you need if you're going to be a minister of the gospel. If you're going to be a channel, you've got you've to stay in touch with God. You've got you've to let yourself be a pure vessel. But at the same time, realizing that God wasn't healing people to exalt my ministry. God wasn't healing people because I did so many things right. God was healing people through me because he loved those people. And boy, when you realize that, Turns out, more stuff happens because you recognize that that same love that loved you is that same love that's working through you. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is preparing these disciples for what's to come. He's not always going to be with them. And he's always going to be with them, certainly in spirit, which is more real than than just being physically with them. What I mean is, he's not going to be the one laying hands on people. He's going to use them. In Luke chapter 9, he sends them out as the twelve. In verse 1 it says, He called the twelve together and He gave them power and authority. Do you hear that? He gave them power and authority. Two things. The authority is the right to say you have to go out. The power is they don't get to say no. He gave them power and authority over all the demons. Was there anything that wasn't subject to them? No, it was everything. And to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. What did they do? They were sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God, the rule of God, the reign of God. They were sent to proclaim it because wherever they went, they brought the kingdom with them. And where the kingdom of God is, that's where he's king. That's where he rules, right? So where the kingdom of God is, there's not all these other things trying to rule. It's no wonder demons were cast out when the kingdom of God was preached because, I, I, I mean, any spirit that tries to have authority and power over you certainly can't if the Lord is, has the authority. If the spirit has control over you, there can't be anything else. Where he's king, all other kings have to go away. So as the kingdom was preached, people were healed. Praise God. Do you think that's drastically changed today? I don't think it has. I can't find one thing in Scripture. I can't find one scripture that says that's all gonna go away. I can't find one. Verse three says He said to them, Take nothing for your journey, neither a staff nor a bag, nor bread nor money. Do not even have two tunics apiece. Wow, <laughs> it's rough. Don't take any provision. What's he, what's he telling them? He's training them to rely on his provision in a way they never have before. Is there anything wrong with taking coats with you? No. Is there anything wrong with taking your wallet with you? No. Because, in fact, at, at the end of this book, he says to them, he goes, you know, you've heard me say before, don't take a money bag with you, don't take a coat with you. Now I'm telling you, take your money back, take your coat. So this isn't for every situation, right? You don't read this scripture and go, okay, I guess I can't take my wallet when I go preach. I guess I can't take a coat. I shouldn't even take a car. I should just hitchhike. Trust in the provision of the Lord. If he tells you, then you do it that way. But what he's training them to do is learn how to rely on him. He's training them to live on the edge of faith, which is so cool. And in some way or another, you've got to expect that some way or another, God's going to train you the same way. There's going to be things that push you beyond what you're comfortable with. There's going to be things that seem terribly risky. I want to tell you, I am the kind of person that that calculates risk all the time. It could be a strength and it could be a weakness. I'm always figuring out, yeah, all right. I could do that, but this is what might happen if I did And I'm always trying to take the the most cautious, prudent course. But you know what? When you're living by faith, sometimes you have to do stuff that is just downright crazy, that doesn't make sense, that is the riskiest thing you could possibly do. You don't choose it because it's risky. That's just stupid. But if God tells you to do it, you don't look at what could happen. You trust Him. He's teaching them to live on the edge of faith. Don't even take anything with you. Why? Does he want them to be cold and, and hungry and naked? No, 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 no. He wants to show them, I can feed you. I can take care of you. Trust me. Boy, it's just like, just, just learning trial by fire, isn't it? Just kind of throw you in, into the situation. Some of you have felt like that before. I know i felt like that before. I know there were situations in ministry Well, the first time I ever preached a real message was over in Asia, and I wasn't supposed to preach at all. I was not prepared to preach. Kind of was. I kind of thought that I might at some point maybe and had a thought in my mind just in case I might do this. But the truth of the matter was I wasn't expecting to preach at all. I was just expecting to carry my dad's stuff, and I had a job which was to press play and record on the recorder and that's all I had to do and I knew how to do it and I could do it well I could get those buttons pressed like nobody's business somebody comes up to me as we're having a conference they said can you speak and it was, it was a large conference large people had gathered large group of young people can you speak to our young people alright I'm getting nervous because I, I at that point I wasn't a preacher that's not what I did and so I'm thinking, oh, I can sing to them. Can you preach to them? So I'm thinking I got some time. All right, okay, I got to go home. And, uh, when? In five minutes. Can you do that in five minutes? Oh, no, not in five minutes. But you know what? You just had to learn to trust God. Turns out God will often put you into situations. Where, and I'm not saying that he's messing with you. He's not a prankster. But you'll find yourself stretched beyond what you're comfortable with So they learn to trust God. He says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that city. What does he mean? We'll find out in the next chapter that he's talking about a house that receives you. See, this is a uh, Middle Eastern custom. Uh, you typically, in the villages they're going to, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have Holiday Inn. They didn't have Super 8. You relied on the hospitality of other people. We're going to read in the next chapter how Jesus says, you know, I, I, you want to follow me? In fact, this chapter, he says, you want to follow me? You've got to learn that uh, you don't have any guarantee of where you're going to lay your head that night. They relied on people receiving them in their house. And if people were going to receive you, they're not going to receive you if they don't like what you're saying. So he says, whatever house receives you, stay there, because that's the door I've opened for you. Look what he says. Stay there until you leave the city. In verse 5, he says, as for those that don't receive you, As you go out from that city, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Wow, that's pretty bold. It says this, departing, they began going through the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. Isn't that awesome? I want want to read you those words again just so you get sufficiently excited by it. They went about through all the villages, preaching the gospel, and healing everywhere. There were no exceptions to that rule. They went out and did what Jesus sent them to do. Chapter 10, let's go ahead and skip. Actually, let's, let's just read the end of chapter 9. Can we do that? Chapter 9, verse 57. They were going along the road. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes. The birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. I've heard people tell you, say that this meant that Jesus was so stinking poor, he was homeless. I'll tell you what this means, because we know through the Scripture. Now, I don't believe Jesus was, uh, uh, you know, walking around uh, in, in you know, his his Gucci, you know, Gucci clothes and, and you know, tossing gold pieces uh, to, you know, along the road as he went. I, I, I certainly don't believe that. But I do believe he had, it, I mean, he... he practice what he preached he didn't worry about this stuff but whatever he needed the father provided you don't see any place in the scripture where jesus needed something and he didn't have it. you do see see some places where they didn't have the provision right then what happened they didn't have enough food to feed everybody what happened he multiplied the food that had more than enough to feed everybody and some left over they needed to pay taxes at one point jesus sends peter fishing he comes out with a coin so they didn't do without what they needed The father took care of him wherever he went. But what he's saying here is this. I'm not staying in the same place. The Bible tells us, uh, we read that he had a house in Capernaum. He had a place. But he's not there. Now, whether he kept that house or not, I don't know. Because really, I don't think he spent a lot of time there. He went and traveled. most of the time, he's traveling around. Like I said, there's no hotels. So when he says the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head, what he's saying is there's no guarantee we're not staying in the same town. We're going from village to village, and I don't know. We don't know whether we're going to be received or not. So you need to be ready to count the cost of what it's going to take to follow me. Because you know what? Not even that, but Jesus has a whole group of people following him. Can you imagine going into, into Marshall or, or, you know, something even smaller than that, a small village, a hamlet, and saying, we got a whole church following us. Uh, you guys got places where we can stay? That might be awkward, might it? So he's saying, count the cost of following me. You know what you're getting into. He says to another, in verse 59, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I don't think his dad was dead. In the vernacular of the time, what he's saying is, let me wait until my parents die. I can get that in order. Let me go and wait till I have time to bury my father. Let me, let me get my house in order. Let me wait until my parents go on. Then I can, sell the, I can sell the land. I can take care of that. And the Lord says to him in verse 60, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now that's kind of weird, isn't it? Is Jesus talking about zombies? No, he's not. Allow the dead to bury their own dead. What he's saying is you want, you want life You follow me. You don't realize it. But those that those that rejected Jesus, he said, you're your, your your, your good as dead right now. He says, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Verse 61, another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. So I'll follow you, but it's on my terms. I will tell you when I'm going to follow you. I'll follow you, Jesus, but here are the vacation days I need. Now, we laugh, but many of us have prayed these prayers in a different way. Lord, I'll I'll do anything. I'll go wherever you send me. Just don't send me to Pakistan. Would you send me to Hawaii? They need Jesus. Lord, would you send me? Would you send me someplace nice? Or or you know what? I I believe wherever God sends you, he's going to put that passion in your heart for that place. I don't think you're going to be miserable when you're there if you just say yes to god you're going to be joyful you're going to be glad wherever he sends you if he sends you to the arctic tundra you're going to have a great time but you first got to say i'll go wherever you send me don't put these exceptions say oh you know i i mean I, we've got this a lot not so much lately but i remember in years past and you know when my dad was still alive we had a, a couple of young guys that say boy i just want to help out with the ministry i want to i just want to be with you i want to support you and dad would say, okay, the sidewalks need shoveling. And they're like, no, nah, I'm not called to that. What are you called to? Well, I'm called to preach mostly. Well, if you're called to preach, I think you got more than enough anointing to shovel the sidewalk. But the, ter- the, the way it worked was they want to serve the Lord on their terms instead of what God says needs to be done. So this guy says, you know, let me first go home and say goodbye to everybody. And Jesus says, Jesus says to this guy he says no one after putting his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Wow. Such a tough thing to hear. Chapter 10 verse 1 it says after this the Lord appointed 70 others. We don't know who these guys were. We are, the best we can do is guess. Now, of course, there are denomin- there are churches out there that have the whole list. If you go on Wikipedia, there is a list of who these 70 were. Can I tell you, that's just, that's just kind of wishful thinking. That It may be some of those, but you know what? Most of the time, it's just people liking, just wanting to, to fill in the blanks. But you know what? God doesn't tell us who these people are. And in fact, in the first two centuries the church was around, most of these guys weren't even named. I don't know what they did with their lives. I imagine... These 70 probably were part of the 120 that met on the day of Pentecost. I imagine they were part of the church, but we don't know who they were. Some say Barnabas was one of them. Maybe. All we know is that they were new to this. Why do we know that? Because Jesus looks at them later and says, I thank God you've revealed this to babes and infants. So these are just 70 normal people. He's already sent out the 12. Now he's sending out 70. In case you've ever thought, some of us have looked at people, and they're like our 12. They're like our 12 disciples. They're like our 12 apostles. And you go, you know what? God can send them anywhere. I'll clap for them when I hear their testimony. I'll give to their ministry, but God's not going to do that with me. I'm sure the 70, when they saw the 12 go out, said, "Yay, good for them. But then Jesus says, no, no, now you guys sends 70 people out. and that, That's a big deal, isn't it? Can you imagine? Let's just turn off our religious brain for a minute and just imagine what that really would have been like. You're, you're going from small village to village. This is not, he's not preaching in big cities most of the time. It's, it's villages, hamlets. As you go from small village to village, he has gathered a group of people that go everywhere he goes. And he picks 70 of them and sends them out in 35 pairs to swarm the countryside with the instruction to do the same thing he told the 12 to do, cast out evil spirits, heal the sick. Can you imagine what the rural landscape of Judea looked like when that happened? I mean, before, Jesus went from place to place. And you might hear about it. And it might be a big deal for a little bit. But here, you've got groups two by two that are strategically hitting every village in the area. From what I can tell, there weren't multiple couples going to the same villages. They were each hitting a village. Can you imagine how many people got healed in that span of time? Can you imagine how much that shook up the realm of the demons you think about it. If you read the Gospels, you find out there's a real there's such a thing as demons. They're real. Jesus talks a lot about them. So if you don't believe they're real, you got a problem with Jesus, not me. Jesus spent some of, a lot of his time making a heart making life difficult for those evil spirits. Can you imagine how that how their little world would have been shaken up as he sends seventy people out to mess up everything the enemy's done in that region. You remember, it's been a while since there was a prophet that stood up and was bold in that place. It's been a while since there was a man, a woman of God, that had the strength and the guts to stand up and preach what God told them to preach. They have, for the most part, been domesticated, subdued, oppressed, oppressed by both the Romans and oppressed by evil spirits. Can you imagine some of those places that were so bound by either religion or something else? How much that would have changed if there was revival in every village. I want you to think about Saskatchewan for a moment. Can you think of all those little towns in Saskatchewan as you drive? Whether you're driving on one of those back roads, you know, we've got more more paved highway in Saskatchewan than I think anywhere else in Canada. I didn't say it was good paved highway, but it's paved highway you know, can you imagine all those little villages, all those little towns, your Macklin's, your provost, your primate? Can you imagine oh, your Radways? You can imagine all these little places, Blackfoot, Marshall, and Maidstone, Lashburn. Can you imagine if a whole group of people were sent out by Jesus Christ to go out and take those villages for him? cast out all the evil spirits and heal any who were sick how much that would shake up Saskatchewan anybody that was stuck in their old religious idea of who God was came face to face with the kingdom of God can you imagine how much that would change our prophets Judea was ready to be shaken up he sent 70 out it says he sent them in pairs where? ahead of him to every city so maybe they did hit the same place. I don't know. But all I know is those places were totally changed. And place where he himself was going to come. See, they prepared the way for the Lord. Jesus was going to hit all these places, but he sent his forerunners ahead of them. Isn't that awesome? Verse 2. He was saying to them, the harvest is plentiful. I want you to hear that again. The harvest is plentiful. The problem is not the harvest. We need to realize that. The problem is not that there aren't enough people willing to hear what we have to say. The problem isn't that there's not enough people who will believe in Jesus. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is we need more laborers to go out and get them. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Then what's the next word he says? Go. Go. Man, I know what this is like. To be in that prayer meeting with Jesus. He says, let's all pray that God sends laborers in the field. Like, yeah, let's pray that. Oh, let's join hands. Let's pray that. Lord, send laborers. Oh, send people. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And then the next word he says to you is go. Oh, no, 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 wait. <laughs> I was part of the prayer team. I'm just praying for other people to go. And no, no, we're praying for laborers to come in, but. But that's my job, to stay here and pray that laborers go out. And Jesus goes, no, we just prayed. Guess what? Our prayers are answered. Go. And it wasn't the smartest thing to pray. We get here on Monday night. We pray that God would sweep this city. We get together. We put our hands together and go, Lord, I pray for reviving Lord Lloyd Minster. Lord, I pray that you send people. Mm, you send people across their path you ever prayed that me too lord i prayed you send laborers across their path and you live next door to them lord send laborers oh send somebody you figure you're going to get a badge in heaven because you prayed for somebody to go you might sometimes you are the one that prays and god sends somebody but a lot of times you pray it and when you say amen he goes good go (laughs) you see I can pray privately I could pray here nobody ever sees me we're not live streaming our prayer meetings I could just pray then when he says go I gotta go look people in the eye and talk to them I gotta go and uh, say things like the kingdom of God has come near to you sometimes often God answers your own prayer with a greater anointing and a greater empowering for you to go yourself. Go, behold. And he wants to make them feel better. I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Don't worry. (laughs) Oh, okay. That makes me feel better, Jesus. I was nervous before you told me I was a lamb in the midst of wolves. Now I feel great. Jesus just knew how to calm everybody down worry. Sometimes we like to be patted on the back. We like somebody to tell us, don't worry. It's a piece of cake. Everybody loves it. Everybody loves you here. Don't worry, you'll do fine. What you need to know, what you probably need is not for your self-esteem to be boosted, but for you to boost your belief that God can do this. I've learned this. Kindergarten will boost your self-esteem. I am special, I am special, look at me, look at me, right? Well, I'm going to tell you, you and I both know that that only goes so far. You might have had one of those parents that praised you till the sun came down. You thought you were God's gift to humanity. You you sang terrible, but you thought you should go on Canadian Idol. But you know what? In a situation like this, you have to come to the belief and the knowledge that this is beyond It's not my specialness, my uniqueness. It's not my ability. It is a dependence on the God who created me, the God who can do all things. That's what's going to get this done. It's not self-esteem. It's God-esteem. God-esteem will lead to good self-esteem. Because you know if he values you, nobody else's opinion matters, right? You know, if the God of all creation calls you friend, who can make you feel small after that? you also know that when I go out into the mission field when you go out into the mission field when you go out into life proclaiming the message of the gospel and and believing that signs and wonders will follow the word you've got to believe that it's not your ability that gets that done it's it's the work of Christ it's the work of God in you it's the spirit of God so he says I send you out don't worry I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves and we've seen who often wins that fight right? don't worry Carry no money belt. He says this again. No bag. No shoes. Shoes? What? Come on, man. Give me some shoes, please. And greet no one on the way. Now, let me give you some light on this. He doesn't mean you're not allowed to say hi to anybody. You're passing them by, they go, hey, stranger. No, just ignore them. Just keep going. What he means is don't stop. Start conversations. Don't stop. Say, let's go have lunch. He, don't be distracted I've sent you on a mission. This is so important as believers. when God sends you on a mission you don't have to be rude but you need to be focused. When God sends you on a mission there will be a dozen things to distract you from that mission And procrastination is not our friend and I know because I am prone to procrastinate if I'm not if I'm not really listening to the Holy Spirit. And I know what it's like to say, well, I can do that next week, and I can do that next week. Do you know how many, I want you to think how many times. I'm going to just put it in a very simple manner that probably everybody here has, has come across. How many times has God told you to phone somebody, God told you to pray for somebody, God told you to give some money to somebody? You put it off week after week until it was convenient. He says here, don't even greet anybody on the way. I've sent you on a mission. You go. Get it done. Greet no one on the way. In verse 5, in other words, don't stop at all your friends' house on the way. They knew people on the way. Don't stop. Keep going. Verse 5, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. This is an interesting thing. He's talking about a man of peace. What does this mean? Do you know in every place that God sends us, there is somebody he's prepared to hear that message? You can look in the scripture and see numerous examples of it. God has prepared people. When God sent his prophets, when God sent Elisha out and he needed to be fed, God sent Elijah. When God sent Elijah to the widow, the widow was ready for him. He had prepared somebody. When Jesus went out, there was always somebody. And here, he says, when you go to that village, there is somebody that's going to receive you. You start there. You focus on them. I've known many missionaries that have used this as their example, as their pattern of of reaching new villages and going to new places. You say, how do you start a church in a new community? I'll tell you how. You go and you seek out the people that God's prepared for you. You find those people, and you you don't go for numbers here. You start with them. If you start with them, they're the key that unlocks the door to the whole community. Now, you say, Well, I'm not going to a community as another gospel. Can I tell you? Sometimes we think the more people, it's just about quantity. I told 59 people about Jesus today, I get 59 stars on my chart. Maybe you need to spend quality time with that person that God has prepared to receive the message. Because there are people whose hearts are ready. Think about what Sister Tammy shared this morning. Do you know? there are people all over our city right now who prayed that same sort of prayer. And would you rather spend 30 seconds with everybody and have that person wanting more and have everybody else thinking, I don't need that, or would you rather God send you to the right person and you spend quality time with them because God's prepared them and they're ready to hear what you're about to say. This is why it's so important to be led by the Spirit because there are people that God has already done the work for. You think that this is your job to get people saved. It's not your job to get people saved. It's your job to proclaim the gospel. It's his job to save them. You don't have to argue them into it. doesn't mean that you don't defend the gospel. It doesn't mean you don't have long conversations. But it's not your job to turn them. It's your job to be there, to sow the seeds and to reap the harvest. So if there's a man of peace there, your peace will rest on him if not, it will return to you. In other words, he says, "You go ahead and just say, peace be to this house. You'll find out later whether they get to keep that peace. He says this, if, stay in that house. So this, is, if this, if there's a guy that receives you, you stay there. You make this your base of operations. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give to you. King James says, whatever they set before you, eat whatever is set before you. And boy, did I learn this growing up. Mom can attest to this. As we were missionaries, I learned you eat whatever is set before you. Probably best not to ask what it is. Just eat it. There's stuff I'd never eat here in Canada. But when or or in this part of Canada, when we're up in northern Canada or when we're up, you know, across the world in Asia, then you know you just eat it and God gives you a grace to do it because you determined beforehand, I'm never gonna say no. Why? Because in, especially in this culture, but in every culture, eating their food is a sign of acceptance. And what these people were showing them was that God was not rejecting them anymore, that the kingdom of God had come near to them, and they were being accepted into that kingdom. And so you've got to realize that just as Christ accepted us, we've got to accept one another. That just as Christ accepted us, that we're coming just as Jesus did, and we're showing the world, look, the kingdom of God has come near to you. It doesn't matter what you eat. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter how much money you have. He wants you. So they'd eat that food. Eat whatever is put in front of them. I remember Dad telling me a story of a guy that went on a mission trip with him to Mexico. And uh, they're in a small little rural village. And <laughs> he's been taught, the way we were taught, eat whatever's put in front of you. whatever's put on your plate, you finish it. In a lot of cultures, it's very offensive to not eat what they put in front of you. It's very offensive to turn it down, right? And so they, they eat whatever's put in front of them. And he was just full. And, man, they had these like, refried beans. And, boy, his stomach was not going to take any more of that. He said to his <laughs> translator, he said, how do I say no more thank you? The guy, the guy looked at him and said, oh, mas frailes, por favor, which means more beans, please. So every time the woman came by, he goes, mas frioles, por favor. She slops a big old thing of beans right on his plate. He knows he's supposed to eat all that. He said, I don't know why. She keeps put beads on my plate when I say no more, so there's funny pranks like that. I remember being in uh, northern Manitoba, and there was all this fish. See so they had nets they had a winter row that went over the ice, and they had the net that was stretched under the road, and that net caught all sorts of fish in that place in Manitoba, you could accidentally drop your line in the water and catch something like it was you, you didn't even have to be trying to catch fish and catch fish, so when they put that net out, it kept caught all sorts of things and I remember being with my dad and uh knowing we had to eat everything and that wasn't that hard with all this delicious fish and then they gave us mariah liver you know what a mariah is it's like the catfish's dumb cousin you know <laughs> it's like i like catfish but the mariah is a pathetic fish it's just like i don't know why you exist and you know as well as i do i love beef i mean i'm a real big fan of liver take a fish you don't like to start with, then say, what could we eat out of this fish that would be even worse than the regular meat? The liver. And it was black on the outside, for some reason charred on the outside, but as soon as you cut into it, there's this green ooze that came out. Now all I hear is, eat whatever's set before you. Plug your nose, eat it, and smile. So you really can't plug your nose, you just have to kind of try to do it without using your hands, and just say, thank you, Jesus. And be thankful you're eating something. Be thankful that somebody is feeding you. Because to them, that's their heart. That's their love for you. They're accepting you by offering you food. You accept them by eating it with gratitude. And in doing so, we're showing them that Jesus accepts them. He says, don't keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. And heal those in it who are sick. Wow. And say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. How do they know the kingdom of God has come near you? Just because you told them? No, they saw it. They experienced it. Do you know, we're not just supposed to preach the kingdom. We're supposed to show the kingdom. We're supposed to demonstrate the kingdom. If I go to a demon-possessed man and I say to him, the kingdom of God has come near you, do you know what he needs to see? needs to be delivered what happens when the kingdom of god comes near you what did jesus say heal them then tell them you heal them then you say you know why you're healed because the kingdom of god is near you see we're not supposed to be just empty philosophers that have nice little theories about a god in the sky We are believers who have the same spirit that Jesus had as he walked, the same authority. We carry his name. And when we preach the kingdom, you better believe he wants to confirm the kingdom. See, the world is done with another theory. The world's had enough of just another religion. What the world needs is to see that Jesus is alive. You see, we can tell everybody Jesus is alive. And you could tell them how you read a book that proved that 2,000 years ago he got out of the grave. And that's fine and that's good and I agree with that. But you can also show them that Jesus is alive. How will they know Jesus is alive? Because they experienced him. They met him. What would happen? See, we say Jesus is alive. We say Jesus is with us. What would happen if Jesus was in that situation? Do you think Jesus would just say, there, there. It's okay. I'm sorry you feel that way, but we all go through stuff. Because that's not the Jesus I've read about. It's not the Jesus that followed the disciples around in the book of Acts. It's not the Jesus that's preached through the New Testament. See, the Jesus I've read about doesn't just say, there, there, it's okay, you'll be fine. The Jesus I've read about does something. Changes the situations. Moves in the impossible. You've got to know you have the authority. Do you see these guys sent out these 70? They were nobodies. And they didn't go and say, don't worry, just wait. You see, Jesus was going to come to that village, right? They could have just said, wait for Jesus. The preacher's coming. Just wait. Can you wait? Get ready. He's going to do healings. Jesus said, you go ahead of me and you heal these people. Tell them the kingdom of God is in. You know, sometimes it's easy to say, uh, hey, you need healing? Come to church with me. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I also believe you can go, hey, you need healing? Let's pray right now. Maybe they don't want to wait till Sunday to get healed. Maybe they're a little tired of that. Why not now? Is Jesus living at church? Now there's power at church, amen? There's power when we come together. I believe there's power here. But there's power when you go away. Jesus moves with you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they don't receive you, go on the streets and say, even the dust of your city, which clings to our feet, we wipe out and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. In other words, some people are going to reject you, but it doesn't mean the kingdom didn't come near. I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, in. What do you best say that, for if the miracles have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes, but it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. What is he saying? He's saying those miracles opened a door for you to repent. And I still believe they do today. Miracles open doors. Do we believe because of the miracles? No, we believe because of Jesus, but I believe miracles testify of Jesus. That's why I believe in miracles, because the Bible tells me they're real. And because I've seen them. But first, because the Word says it. And you, Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You'll be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. So you don't feel bad when you're rejected, because you're not being rejected. Jesus is being rejected. Then he says this, the 70 return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Now, some of you might have read that and thought he was talking about that, the fall of Satan in the, in the beginning. That's not what he's talking about. Because if you look, and it's translated well in this, in this translation, but in the original language, it says, I was watching and watching. I was watching Satan fall and continue to fall, falling, falling. He's not talking about that one time Satan fell in the beginning. He's talking about this moment when I sent you out like arrows taking down targets. I was watching Satan and all his forces fall and fall and fall. You see, he sent them out strategically. He was watching the forces of darkness fall. Then he says this, behold, in other words, look, pay attention. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all, over all, over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You see, the greatest miracle we're ever going to see is somebody getting born again. The dead raised The lame walking, the blind seeing still aren't as big as one man coming to repentance. Because that's a miracle that'll last forever. Do you know all these people that got healed? They died eventually. Right? Even healing doesn't last forever in your physical body. Do you know what lasts forever? That salvation, that eternal life. That's the biggest thing ever. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. In other words... It shouldn't be a big deal to you that demons listen to you. That should be second nature. He says this. At that very time, he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one, knows who the son, no, no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes which see the things you see. For I say to you that many prophets and kings wished to see the things which you see, and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear, and did not hear them. You've got to understand your eyes are blessed, because we're living in a day and age where God's power is being shown where God's spirit is being poured out and you are blessed to see it and you're blessed to hear the stories For many prophets and kings wish they saw what you saw thank God man if you're just tired of living a dry life of living a life where you say one thing but you see another you act out another if you're tired of just saying well that's for the big shots but it's not for me I want you to hear what Jesus said. He says, You've revealed these things to infants. You know, the people that thought they were so smart, the people they thought were so educated, they didn't get this. They're just the regular people, uneducated, illiterate people who were willing to be used by Jesus. And everybody in this room, you might think, Well, I'm smarter than that. And you may be. If you're willing to be humble, everyone in this room can be used by God. Maybe you counted yourself out and said, well, yeah, he did that with the, the 12, but they were apostles. But these 70 were just regular people like me and you. Now, I believe what he did with the apostles, you can do too. What he did with the disciples, you can do too. I believe that. With the 12, you could do that too. They were, they were examples for us. But even if you doubted that, look at the 70. Infants in the world's eyes. Powerful in God's eyes. Do you know what G- what made Jesus so happy? When it says he rejoiced greatly, do you know he didn't rejoice like we rejoice here in Lloydminster? We're kind of reserved sometimes, you know? We might rejoice, we might clap, we might, you know, maybe even if, if our team scores, we might shout a little bit. But Jesus was of a culture where you didn't quietly rejoice. Where you danced, you shouted, you made a little bit of noise, you made it, you made a scene. And it doesn't just say he rejoiced, it says he rejoiced greatly in the spirit. Which sometimes we think that in the spirit means on the inside I'm rejoicing. Maybe you've said that, that is lame. Oh, I'm rejoicing on the inside, forget that. You know what? I think if you're rejoicing on the inside, it works its way to the outside. It says he was rejoicing greatly in the spirit. doesn't mean he's just rejoicing on the inside. It means when he was rejoicing, it was in the spirit. He was in the spirit. And he was rejoicing. And what made Jesus so happy? What made Jesus so glad? What made Jesus so glad? was that those people he sent did things in his name. Saw demons flee. Saw the sick healed. Saw the kingdom of God go with them. You want to make Jesus rejoice? Go and do what he sent you to do. Make yourself a vessel he can use. I don't believe in an empty gospel. I don't believe in, in another philosophy. I don't have time for that. If this isn't real... I don't want to mess around with it, but I know it is, and you know it is. We've got to get discontent with just being satisfied and telling stories that happened to other people a long time ago. We have to believe that that same Jesus is alive. That same kingdom is here. That same Spirit lives in you. You've got to believe that. And when we pray, God, send laborers. Be ready because the next word you may hear is, okay, go. What do you do if that's what you hear? You go. Because you're not going alone. You're going with him, right? Can I tell you something practical? He sent them out two by two. Sometimes it helps to have a friend. Jesus started it. Why are we so above that? It's not wrong to take a friend with you. Brent, you know what that's like. When we were <laughs> we were young teenagers on fire for Jesus. But honestly, there's a step, there's a gap between let's go tell people about Jesus and actually doing it. So what it helps if you tell your friend, let's go do it together. Because then neither of you can back out. You know, you're just like, okay. I've told you this before. Some of you, most of you have heard us say this. But I remember when we were so excited about God that we took our snowboard trip and we thought our snowboard trip was like the, the most divine outpouring that we've ever seen before. I mean, and God backed it up. I mean, you, some of you have heard this, but indulge me for a moment. Uh, by the time we got to Free, somebody had filled the back of our car with chips. Now, to you that may not be a big deal, but to young men at the time, that was a sign of the glory of God. We've got ships filling the back seat up to the ceiling. By the time we got to Jasper, which we were going to Marmot Basin, we came out of the <laughs> we came out of the hotel, went onto the balcony. I think Brent spotted it first. Oh man, look at that! Outside was it <laughs> was a, a bus? I think it was a was a train car, right? The, the bus was the next day, right? The train car said, destiny. Oh, yeah. So we came out the next morning to see our destiny, right? Where's the destiny there? It was gone. In front of it, instead of destiny, there was one that said, uniglory. Oh, surely God is in this place. We wrote a song. That's how geeky we were. We wrote a song about it. But what we did, there was three of us, and there's a four-person chair that goes up, right? And they want to keep the line moving, so they have a line for singles, right? That's a sad line, but people are in it. And, and, and they, if you're a three, they're going to put somebody with you, boom, you go up so that every chair is filled. Well, that was perfect because there's three of us and one random person that gets to hear about Jesus and can't do anything but jump off for that whole time up the mountain. We thought about, we never really did it, but we thought about, you know, if we did kind of, if they did decide to jump or if we did kind of nudge them off. If you were to fall right now, do you know where you'd go? But we thought that would be a bad idea. But the nice thing was, as we three were on there, we could talk about the love of Jesus and help each other out. Where one left off, the other could pick up. If we got shy, there was always somebody that would push us. Don't be too ashamed to ask a friend to go with you. Tell somebody about Jesus. Go and say, let's go save a life. Let's go love somebody that hasn't been loved. Let's go demonstrate the kingdom. Let's go find somebody that needs to be healed. Let's go find somebody that needs to be delivered. Why? Because Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but I came to seek and to save the lost. There's two things. He didn't just say, I didn't come to condemn, I came to save. He said, I came to seek and to save. See, there's a big difference. You go to save people, you just set up a booth, and you say, you need salvation, you come to me. But Jesus said, I'm going to go seek them out, and I'm going to save them. Do you know that the same Jesus who walked the earth walks with you? Come on, I'm going to say that again. Do you know the same Jesus that walked the earth walks with you? And if he does, don't you think he's still seeking? How does he seek? Sends you out. How does he say? He sends you out. Do you know what? His Holy Spirit goes ahead of you. And there are people who cried out to God. And say, you know, if somebody would just talk to me. There are people that cry out to God, they just couldn't take anymore. Maybe a woman, maybe somebody like the woman with the issue of blood, who's tried every doctor, and no doctor's ever fixed it. They hear about Jesus. Or maybe they don't know about Jesus. They just know they need something. How will they believe if they've never heard? How will they hear if no one's ever preached? And how will they preach if they haven't been sent? I tell you, you've been sent. You've been commissioned. You know the great commission that we always talk about? Go, therefore, and make disciples. It starts, and I've told you this before, but it starts with Jesus saying, I've got all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Sometime I want you to read Mark 16 and read what Jesus said to you. We he said to his disciples about everyone who would believe. What would happen when they believe? And I want you to make that personal to you. That's Jesus talking to you. What would it look like if the kingdom flooded our province? What would it look like if the kingdom went to every village between here and Saskatoon, between here and Edmonton, between here and Prince Albert? What would it look like? we got to wake up because the harvest is ready. The problem is not the harvest. The problem is not people won't listen. The problem is we don't have enough people ready to go out. And guess what? We do have enough people if they'll wake up and go. Thank God. We live in a great